I'm Josh Sigmund, and I'm a mortgage lender. I'm also a geek for money, not just earning it and saving it, but literally everything about it. I love that money has rules. It has its truths. I love investment strategies, and I love making money work for us. For so many, money is emotional. For me, it's logical, like a puzzle. My passion is also helping others with their money. I love looking at people's finances, dissecting their puzzle, and rebuilding with strategy and purpose, and I'm really good at it. I'm making this podcast about my money strategies, not the things that are written in books or sold in programs. It's a podcast outlining the lessons I've learned and used for the past 15 years. These strategies help me and those who use them save more, give more, create wealth, and retire early. Let me teach you how to build your net worth. You ready? Welcome to Sigmund Sense. Sometimes I tend to slouch. I start slouching. So it's a reminder. My what? Your your droopy eye. Okay, you can't mess around with that because I am starting to. My eye is. You have a droopy eye. Stop it! Stop it! Stop it! I really am. You're in your thirties now. It's okay. It's like no, it's a thing. I know. And I'm very self conscious about it, which means you cannot make fun of me for it. That's how that works. Oh, I was just stating, <laughs> stating fact. I wasn't making fun of you. <laughs> it is a thing. Like, I mean, and it's real bad in the morning. I mean, so I have to get some Botox or like tape. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe some tape. Um, Commonly asked questions. So I can kind of give you some, what should, you know, one is, you know, what should people focus on? So you can write your own words. This is just for me to okay. think about, but. Um, I would say the most common asked questions are, uh, when do you know it makes sense, right? Like when, when should it make sense? Um, 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 one thing you, uh, one thing I did have written in the notes is try to keep your first house as an investment property. Well, this is, we're talking about refis, not investment properties. I said that out loud yeah, that was part of the when we we were doing an investment property one. This is not investment property. This right. I have when and when and why and how to refinance. Yeah. So the other one you're thinking of is a separate thing on on buying investment okay. properties. Okay, I'm ready to roll. Let's do it. We have about an hour and when 15 was the minutes. Last, when was the last time you refinanced someone? <laughs> about, about half hour ago. Half hour ago. Well, good. Then it's top of mind. All right. Uh, no, I'm not good. good. Energy. Energy. You got a pop in the face today, man. Wasn't expecting something. That's what you get for back talk, brother. <laughs> who popped you? Who popped you? Oh, uh, we'll make your mouth stop working. Ha <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. uh-huh. Like you got some negative information? Mm-hmm. That's not good. Client, partner. Nope. 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 Team related. Team related. Mm-hmm. Oh, lovely. So that means my pop is coming as soon as we... Go no, off air. Probably not. All right. 
Okay, you got that. We're good there. You don't care if my phone's on here. I don't think I so. Do. Okay. The water bottle is okay. By the way, <clears throat> have you seen how see? beautiful these are? Hmm. I mean, does it make you feel like you've arrived in life? <laughs> I paid somebody <laughs> to put this together. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> Let's do well, this. Well, then you're. Yeah, <coughs> yeah, yeah, lower that bar. So la, 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 la. Learn to appreciate the little A -E -I -O -U. things. A-E-I-O-U. Stretch out. Okay, here we go. <laughs> Hello and welcome to another set of Sigmund Sense. And today we're going to talk about something that uh, obviously I deal with on a daily basis in mortgages, which is refinancing. Uh, it is definitely part of the money talk because uh, there's always questions about how, when, why, you should or shouldn't refinance. You know, what are the commonly asked questions? Uh, what are some pitfalls I see clients doing all the time? Uh, there is some predatory lending I see uh, when it comes to refinancing. Uh, unfortunately, I see that uh, all too often. Yeah. Um, but there's a, obviously a very healthy reason to refinance when it makes sense. And so I want to kind of walk through that. I didn't know if you had any specific questions to start with or if you want me to just roll with it. And no, we'll I think it. we need to talk about what the heck a refinance is anyway. Are you okay? Knocking things around. There we go. Okay, we're good. Um, yeah, what is a refinance? So a refinance in general is just uh, um, whether it has to do with the rate or term or cash out, what you're doing is you're redoing your mortgage. The okay. easiest way to explain it to the general public is a redo, right? So let's just say that you might have started a mortgage and you already have one in your home, three years old. And, uh, and so you've, got, you've been paying in for 36 months into a 30-year mortgage, which is a 360-month mortgage, and you're 36 months in, okay? Mm -hmm. uh, well, you might have uh, locked in a rate of, of 5%. You know, if you go back a couple of years, rates were over 5%. And uh, obviously now, rates are under 4%. They're in the threes with better credit scores. Um, there's always, you know, depending on credit, we've talked about this before, depending on your credit and loan to value and the right. timing, obviously could be different. But in that example, you're talking about a two point difference in interest rate, right? Uh, well, we're not talking about a carrying a $5,000 credit card balance. We're talking about a two, three, four hundred thousand dollars loan amount. So yeah. rate does matter, right? So there's, uh, when you're doing this redo in this example, when you're dealing with what's called a rate term refinance, all you're doing is re-amortizing your loan back to a 30-year or changing the term to shorten it to a 20-year or 15-year uh, with whatever the new rates are. So in this case, dropping a rate from a five and a quarter to a you know, three and a half or whatever it is with, with the new lower loan balance because okay. you've been paying off for three years. Right. And what most people will do if, if the appraisal permits because there's typically some appreciation. So what most people do is roll the closing costs themselves back in the, in the loan itself and then restart the mortgage over. Restart it. Okay. Right. So, um, you know, it's it's kind of interesting. People can save hundreds of dollars a month in their monthly payment, which is a car payment, right? right. So, yeah. Uh, and that's one of several reasons why to refinance. But in general, the way to think of it is you're redoing your mortgage. You're starting okay. over from scratch. Okay. okay. So you're redoing your mortgage. Mm -hmm. And so one way is a, or one reason to do that is to lower your rate, which, which is more specifically your, to, to decrease your payment. Decrease so your I would payment. say the, the majority of refinances are specifically to reduce the payment, okay. right? We're a, uh, unfortunately a debtor nation. Um, you know, we, we have more debt than we have savings as a whole. Mm -hmm. And, um, and you know, it's been a couple great years of heyday and people are out spending what they're making. And so, 
Uh, all of a sudden, debt adds up, and now we we feel the pinch of a hundred dollar difference of of yeah. cash flow or two hundred dollars difference of cash flow makes all the difference in the world for the the average American. And so, decreasing the mortgage fixed payment uh, helps out. Now, another reason why that happens is one thing that is not fixed, even in a fixed rate mortgage. So, separate of a, a adjustable rate mortgage, what's not fixed is property taxes and insurance tend to go up over time. Uh, right. Okay. Yeah. So even if somebody started with a payment that they felt comfortable with and they could afford, uh, you you know somebody might have had a budget of two thousand bucks, and they bought this house, and by the time they did everything, they ended up with a monthly payment of nineteen fifty. So they feel great, and we do know that salaries don't change as fast as properties appreciate. Yeah. And so, uh, but maybe the property taxes raised over $100,000 of appreciation, which is great in theory, right? Because that's, you're, you've got a great investment going, but it also comes with the consequence of an extra, you know, depending on where you live in Texas, about a $2,500 additional tax burden, right. which is 200 bucks a month. So now what was a 1950 payment now is a 1150 payment. Uh, sorry, twenty one fifty payment, yeah. uh, and that could be the difference of feeling comfortable versus feeling pinched, feeling okay. house poor. Okay, and so the the most common reason to refinance is to decrease the monthly payment. So, what about if you are not in a position where you need the extra money, or you know that one or two hundred dollars per month uh-huh. is is a big deal? Uh-huh. Is it still reasonable to? consider refinancing to lower uh, your payment. Sure. So th- there's certainly lots of reasons to do it. Um, I'll just go through uh, at the top level, the top four reasons, right? Okay. So uh, dropping the monthly payment would be the, the primary. Uh, the second one though is decreasing the term. So the term being, if you're doing a 30-year mortgage, dropping it to a 20-year mortgage or a 15-year mortgage or a 10-year mortgage, right? Um, why would somebody do that? Uh, well, first of all, their payments can go up. So exactly what you're saying, it's not they don't need the payment to go down. Yeah. Uh, they're okay with the payment going up because their specific financial goals might be to pay it off pay by it retirement, off right? Yep. Pay it off faster. Um, and so that'd be an example of the payment going up. Uh, a third reason why people tend to refinance is to take cash out. So reallocation of debt, you've got to do, you know, some people do cash out refinances. In fact, a ton of people this year are doing cash out refinances. Um, in fact, 30 minutes ago, I left my office and I did mm-hmm. one. Uh, but the idea being that, you know, maybe somebody has $15,000 of credit card debt, a $10,000 car payment for their kid that they bought their car for when they're 18 or 16. They've got a couple little Best Buy mm-hmm. Victoria's Secret credit cards that are a couple thousand bucks here and there. Yeah. And, but all of them add up to a couple hundred, you know, 500, $700 a month of debt. Well, what's great, what, what you're, what the theory is, uh, financially is that you, Anytime you can trade a long term, or sorry, a short term, non tax deductible, high interest debt for a long term, low rate, tax deductible debt, the second would make more sense, Makes right? More sense. Even if, and I know tax laws change every couple of years. So currently, there's not a big advantage to the average consumer with a write off uh, for mortgage interest anymore. Uh, it, you have to hit a certain threshold, anyways, of itemizations. But if, if I can take a five-year payment that makes me feel uncomfortable and stretch that over 30 years, the payments could go to, go down significantly. Like yeah. um, just to give a, a basic example, for every $10,000 financed in a mortgage on average in my career, it's been about 40 bucks a month. Yeah. So with the increase your, every, yeah, if you increase every 10,000 finance, it's about a $40 monthly payment difference. So if I raised my mortgage amount by 20 grand, it might cost me all rates held equal, maybe 80 bucks. 80, yeah. Well, what can $20,000 do of other debt? 
I well, mean, a $10,000 car loan might still have a $350 payment on it. A, mm-hmm. a, a $10,000 of credit card might be another $350 of minimum payments. So if I'm trading $700 of monthly payment cash flow against 80 bucks of monthly payment cash flow, right? then the mortgage went up, the payment might've gone up by 80 bucks, but, uh, you've now, but now I've eliminated six, 700 bucks of right. other debt. And so that that's a huge difference. It's, it's always, what do you do with that? Like if you do that mm-hmm. and then you choose to spend 700 bucks a month on Vegas, bad choices. <laughs> but if you take that extra six, 700 yeah. bucks a month that you freed up uh, and start applying that towards savings that you might not have, or finally uh, contributing to your 401k or IRA or SCP. Oh, I think that's, that's interesting. Talk through that because there's people that yeah. have taken cash out of their house uh-huh. only to put it into an investment yeah. vehicle, right? Yeah, that happens, yeah. And that makes sense if it it what? can, it can. And I'm not a, a financial planner by any means. And so it's worth talking to a professional in that, that area. But, you know, the, the theory is always that you can borrow for a house, you can't borrow for retirement, right? So this comes up more often when people are purchasing properties and refinancing in that, you know, somebody sold their last house and they netted 100,000 mm-hmm. bucks. And so the question comes, well, should I put that 100,000 into my next house? And my answer is put down as much money as it takes to make your payment comfortable, but no more than that, because... Uh, if you take that extra money and apply that towards your retirement mm-hmm. uh, and the house appreciates, which over time they tend to, not always, but they tend to appreciate over time, then your net worth is just simply higher, higher. Uh, at the end of it, right? So, uh, but there's a couple of reasons why to do it, but those are the primary ones. We, uh, the last one, by the way, fourth most common one is divorce, okay. you know, uh, uh, or, or, or death. Divorce, death, I'd say uh, fall in the same category. And the reason why that comes up is, um, quite most of the time, not quite often, most of the time in a divorce, if one of the two spouses keeps the property, they have to, within a period of time, award the property and its debts to the other party, right? So we're married, we're not, but we're married. Thank God. Thank God. <laughs> For sure. Although I do come uh, with a microphone that you can turn that off. That I can turn off. Your switch, <laughs> your switch I can flip off and be done with you, right? Um, but my point is, is that uh, we're married. You decide that you want to keep the house, uh, and I'm still on the mortgage. Well, I don't want to leave it in my name right. because that's going to possibly prevent me from being able to buy another property in my own debt ratio. Or you could be very vindictive and intentionally and stop miss make, payments, yeah, stop which will hurt payments. my credit. Right. So that stuff needs to be worked out before. So the, if divorce. you get a divorce. Uh-huh. You don't have to come off of the mortgage. You have to actively refinance off of it. Yeah, the question is, is that uh, if you do nothing, what happens, right? And the answer is, is you are at risk. Uh, you know, if and on when both you, sides, and when you go sides. and when you go to purchase a new house, it'll come up and it yeah. Gets and counted. Okay. think about the flip side. If if you're keeping the property and you live in it for ten more years, fifteen more, you pay off the mortgage, but you never remove me from title. And now the house is appreciated by 50 grand, 100 grand, 500,000. Time to sell. My name is still in the deed. I still own it. You still own it. So I you still, own still it. So are now I, 50% of... If it's not identified specifically, and that's why okay. for sure divorce attorneys specifically identify separation of okay. assets and debts. Uh, but if you just try to do something on the internet and forget that piece, yeah. then in theory, at the end, you're like, I've, I've paid off the mortgage on my own and I appreciated 250,000 bucks. Yeah. Great. I'm expecting is you know all the money. But now you have to argue with me because I might just make your life miserable and not sign. Right. Uh, or I might ask you for a check 
to sign, right? It depends on how amicable divorces are, but uh, those are the things. And death is the same kind of thing, uh, unfortunately. Uh, that is death and taxes, right? It's going to happen to all of us. Um, my second grade teacher taught me that. How weird is that? Your second grade teacher? My second That's grade teacher. Morbid. Her name was How Mrs. long did she teach <laughs> for? That would make sense if she's been doing it for 25 years. Her name years. was Mrs. Ditto. And oh, ditto. Um, yeah, I remember vividly her saying, you don't have to do much, but the only, the two things you absolutely have to do is die and pay taxes. I'm not sure that's mature enough for a second grader. She but also had a rotation of outfits. So she had two weeks worth of clothing and Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And then she'd repeat. OCD much or just, just smart and frugal? I don't know. But why I remember those things. You should reach out to her and check on her. <laughs> I uh, should. You should. Uh, but I mean, that, those are the basic things. But when I was saying about death, um, you know, depending on how you buy the property in each state's a little differently as far as community property state or not. But transfer the debt uh, upon debt, uh, sorry, debt and uh, the deed upon death to the other party, the the, the survivor, mm-hmm. uh, quite often is needed. It's not always needed depending on how the initial mortgage was set up, whether they're both on the deed and both on a note or not. Um, but just for safety, yeah. you know, you um, it prevents problems down the road. Okay. Right? So there are four. So we've got rate to decrease your rate. Uh-huh. to change the term. Yep. So go from a 30 to a 20 or a 10 or a 15. Or the opposite. By the way, somebody gets divorced, they had a 15-year mortgage. Oh, yeah. Now they don't feel comfortable with the half the income of the family. Yeah. They would go back to a 30. Or if they made their decision originally based on the best of times mm-hmm. and then their company slashed and burned salaries and commissions or whatever, yeah. and now they need to decrease the term to lower the payment, that's another why. You can go reverse, not just to shorten it, but it could be to extend it. I find refinances so fun. I just think <laughs> I don't I don't really understand the inner workings of them, uh-huh. but I just feel like it's such a great way that you can get very um creative for lack uh-huh. of better terms um yeah. with an with your asset that you mm-hmm. have of your in your house. There's a lot of things you can do with it. So, okay, so rate term um cash you know, out. cash out and then um you know if you're uh, death divorce those types mm-hmm. of okay, so those are the four reasons. Yep. Um when do you, I bought a house last year. Should I even consider, uh, do yeah, I that's like, a good question. do I like plug my ears and don't want to, you know, yeah, it's, a, a, it's, a, it's a commonly asked question, which is like, when does it make sense? When should I think about it? Right. Um, my first answer is that you should hopefully have an advisor that keeps in touch with you, uh, and, and reaches out occasionally and lets you know what's going mm-hmm. in the market. Uh, because I think the average, we've talked about this, the average consumer doesn't really have a feel or understanding of the market anyways. Yeah. So they can miss an opportunity by a matter of two weeks and it could be a huge difference to their family. And they don't um, know, or they don't know who to listen to and what's really right. What's right. right there's a and lot that's, that's, of why, that's why there's a lot of, not necessarily bait and switch, but for sure a lot of predatory lending. Um, the old rule of thumb used to be if you can save at least a half percent on your, on your rate and are planning to keep the property for three years, it makes sense. Now, Okay. That is a generic answer. Right. I've also heard it said as 1%, say 1%. Okay, I feel uh, like the that's reason why you've heard both of them is because it differs on the loan size, mm. right? Uh, 1% on 200,000 is one thing. 1% on 800,000 in California, totally different. Yeah. So half a percent on 200,000, um, saving a thousand bucks a year of interest. Nah, maybe, maybe not. Yeah. Half a percent on 800,000 is saving four grand a year, which might be 300 bucks a month. Totally. So there's not really a, a, a real blanket answer because the loan sizes differ, right? Um, so which goes back to 
talk to a consultant first. Uh, but my answer is, is that it depends on the break even. Okay. Yay. The right answer is you would choose to refinance, uh, assuming it's not a necessity like a divorce or a death, uh, or the need to go to a 30 year mortgage because life changed and you need to go from 15 to 30. Right. So outside of necessity, you would opt to choose to refinance, uh, based on your break even. So a break even is really the easiest way to define it would be what is the cost I'm going to incur associated with this new mortgage? Mm-hmm. And how, if I divide that by the payment savings, as an example, when you're dealing with just the rate term, if I divide that by the payment savings, how long do I have to stay in this property to pay myself back? Right? Okay. So set a different way. If we just use a real easy number, uh, 3% total closing cost, tax, insurance, everything, just call it 3%. Uh, maybe it's six thousand bucks on a two hundred thousand dollar situation. You know, nine thousand bucks on a three hundred thousand. By the way, remember the higher the sales price and loan amount, the lower as a percentage the closing costs are. Right. right. So between yeah. five and ten thousand is kind of a normal, depending on uh, what you're dealing with. Um, but just use a six thousand dollar number. And let's say that uh, in that example, the person was going to save um, three hundred bucks a month. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, six thousand dollars divided by three hundred bucks a month is a twenty month break even. Okay, which is less, less than, two, than years. two years. So the follow-up question I would ask if, if that was your scenario, I'd say, Bryn, do you plan to sell within two years? Yes or no? Nope. No. How long do you plan to keep the property for? Several more years. Okay. Minimum guaranteed. Minimum guaranteed five. Okay, cool. So in that case, I'd say 100% you need to refinance. Okay. Because what that break even means is that you're just going to take those first, in that example, 20 months to pay yourself back right? Because you're saving at the rate of the couple hundred bucks a month, Mm -hmm. but you still already rolled in 6,000 more into your loan amount. But at 20 months, you've paid yourself back. So every additional month past that for that next three years, 36 months, you're saving another 300 bucks a month, 200 bucks a month, whatever it is. So the longer you're there, the the more it makes sense, but just don't sell or refinance within the break-even period that you did which goes to something that I'm super passionate about, which is it's not about the rate. It's not the rate because the lower the rate is, the higher the fees are. Everyone needs to understand that as a basic thing is it's like a seesaw. Once again, for the people in the back. I mean, interest rates and closing costs work like a seesaw. Higher rates, lower fees, lower rates, higher fees. At the end of the day, you might qualify for three and a quarter. Doesn't mean you should do it. If you could take 375 and the break even is more in alignment with your goals, because the closing costs are lower and you for sure, remember my follow-up was, for sure guaranteed what's the minimum you'll be there. Right. If you want to hedge for that, not for the best of times, the best case, but worst case, how long will we really be there? Well, my kid's not going to graduate for five more years. I'll be there for at least five years. Least okay, five cool. Years. Now I've got something to, you know, but I think I'll be there forever, right? If you're going to be there forever, for sure, do the lowest rate, even do if the, the fees are higher, rate. right? But I focus on refis with the break even. Why? A um, couple of things. Number one is you paid a set of closing costs when you bought the house. People forget that. Mm-hmm. On top of that, a lot of people pay in the higher fee, sorry, higher fee, lower rate spectrum up front because they don't, they, you know, rates have been so low for so long. So they they don't think they're ever going to refi. And then what happens in the last 12 months? Oh, another refi boom. Right. Um, you know, if you go back to January 2019, the average rate nationwide was a little bit over 5% for about 30 days. I know. Every That's single crazy. one of those people is refinancing <laughs> right now. If they're smarter, their financial planners reached yeah. out to them or their mortgage guy has. 
because when rates are under 4%, you know, the situation changed. So they might have literally bought down. They might have spent extra closing costs to get down into the high fours. So they spent that extra closing cost based on the break even at the time. time. So now you're agreeing to, and it does make sense in that case to refinance, but I'm always cognizant of, you already set a set of closing costs up front. Let's try to minimize the fees this time around if it makes sense, because we're kind of in uncharted territory, right? Um, The stock market is literally at an all-time high right now. The rates are still crazy low, Mm -hmm. like almost all-time lows. That's economically not normal, right? So, and so what's, what is driving that? Uh, there's like, lots of things. I and, think I, and I think it's yeah. important to say, so we are in uh, January of 2020. It's January yeah. 14th, 2020. We're recording this. This will probably drop in February, I'm guessing. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so here we are in, in a year later, 2020, January first quarter anyways. Uh, what's going on? Uh, we're picking, like, this is not a political conversation. I'm just saying there's a whole lot of uncertainty internationally. Whole lot of uncertainty. So uh, uncertainty... In, you know, it's an election year. Uh, typically, uh, there's a lot of uh, uh, of uh, fluctuation in the marketplaces in the election year. Who's going to win? Who's not going to win? Will they come and stay? Will a newbie show up? Uh, so you've got that going on. Um, but internationally, I can just list a few off. Uh, is Trump going to be impe- impeached or not? Are we going to go into World War III with Iran or not? Looks like we're not, which is good news. Um, are we going to finally come to a final agreement with China on our new steel, uh, on a new tariff agreement? Uh, we've got steel issues with, I think, Argentina and Brazil right now. Um, we have local homeland terrorism these days, right? Between all the uh, gun issues. Um, there's just a lot of crap going on locally. Now, at the end of the day, though, our GDP is unbelievable. Uh, we are actually uh, making more raw materials as far as natural ga- uh, gas and gas. We, uh, for we're, We are exporting more um, fossil fuels than we are importing. For the first time ever. So those are all really good things. Yeah. So we're not reliant as reliant as on the rest of the world. So all that is really good uh, in general, which is why the stock market is at an all-time high, right? So, but typically what happens in normal economics is when the stock market goes up, bond market tends to go down and rates tend to go up. Really easy. Stock so right market now the, up, bonds bond down, down, rates, rates up. up. Right. So if you think of it just that way only, and I'm, I'm trying to speak in layman terms, which, you know, we can get into I don't bond really know pricing. how well you're doing at layman terms, but keep on rocking. I'll, I'll do my best. <laughs> uh, I'm not even getting into bond pricing because it's uh, it's different to say bonds up, bond down, but it doesn't matter. In general, all this means is that uh, when the stock market's really high, rates should be going up with them, should be, okay. right? When inflation is, is increasing, which it has, mm-hmm. rates should go up with the inflation, right? On the flip side, the Fed is, is decreasing the federal funds rate they did, what, three times in the second half of 2019. So you've got these these opposing forces that aren't normal economics. We're an emotional, um, and we're emotional investors these days as opposed to logical investors as a whole. You know, uh, Trump tweets something and people invest or divest from a specific stock based on yeah. something he says about Boeing or whatever. Yeah. Um, so it's just, we're in uncharted territories. My point in saying that is, could rates go lower? Yes, they could. In fact, Fed, uh, Fred, uh, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac both believe rates are going to be between three and a half and 
375 for 2020, which was not expected. Really? You had said that in 2019. Like that, yeah, it just doesn't make sense, so right? That is so far away from what every single yeah. person predicted. Yep. And, and it, myself included, you go back two years, yeah. I wouldn't have I, wouldn't I have mean, the narrative that. has been going to go up, going to go up, be prepared up. for 2020, you know, make your plans. And yep. especially, you know, from a business standpoint, yep. it's going to be harder to, to close loans. So and, and the truth of the matter is, is that the average consumer is bullish. Uh, there was a survey recently that more than 50% of Americans think that this year is a good year to buy houses. Um, interest rates are supposed to be under 4% for the duration of the year, number two. Number three, there's a, shorting, a shortage of houses in most uh, of the better metro areas. I'm in Texas. Texas has been on fire yet in right. Florida is number one, I think, right now. You've had Colorado and Nashville as well. Um, Nashville, Colorado, and uh, uh, Tennessee. Yeah. All these areas are booming. And so what that means is that there's a shortage of supply of houses, which is good for the average homeowner for refinances because property values will go up. Supply and demand curve again. Mm-hmm. When, the, when there's more people wanting to buy houses than there are available in the market, you'll watch prices go up, which has been the story for the last 15, 10 years anyways, since 2008. Um, you know, we sucked up the supply in eight, nine and by 10, it was pretty much over. And all of a sudden we went into this seller's market instead of a buyer's market. So, um, that's why, uh, we've got so many refis happening nationwide. Um, depending on the year, I mean, there were, there's been some years that there, there's been more refinances than purchases in the mortgage world. It's kind of crazy. This is really the first time I've ever been in the industry when this has occurred. Yeah. And Again, going back to why I like refinances, it's a it's an opportunity. It's just I feel like it's just a very much a win win. You're not mm-hmm. moving, you're utilizing your assets, yeah. you're you know it, it just it's cool. And then you can well, what's really use cool it about benefit. it? Yeah, and, and and obviously you know past performance is not indicative of future performance. I've been told that by every financial planner I've ever talked to, and it's and it's it's true. Yeah. Um, but. When you think about real estate in general, and you think about long term, um, you know property values for sure have gone up. If you talk to a local resource wherever you're at, a local realtor that knows what they're doing, there's a pretty good uh, idea of what will happen with property values in your city. Um, you know, just based on your local board of realtors, they can kind of tell you. There's reports. We're in San Antonio. There's San Antonio board of realtors. And we do, we've got a housing forecast every January. It was today. It was today, literally. And um, you know, there's a really good indication of what the next three years looks like. So here's kind of the, the, the split idea, but why um, this all ties into why somebody might utilize a property for a cash out or for a, uh, to pay a reallocation of debt, things like that. Um, by the way, with the cash out, we even say some people just take the cash out to fix up the property. Some people take out their cash we to pay for, that, yeah. pay for college, right? That's a cash out refinance, uh, or use it to reallocate debt. But my point is, um, San Antonio as a whole is probably appreciated on average about 6% a year for the last 10 years. Mm-hmm. There have been pockets that are not that good. There are pockets that are better than that. Um, geographically, things that are internal that there's no more lots to build on have outperformed because property there's nowhere. To, if you want to live in Alamo Heights, you're going to pay a premium because right. there's no more lots available in Alamo Heights, right? Unless you tear down something. So my point about that is, is that let's just say the closing costs on average, on average are about 3% to do a refinance. Well, if the houses have been appreciating at 6% a year, you could do your refinance and in three months time, six months time, potentially have already appreciated enough to pay for your own closing costs. Yeah. You don't think about that, right? If you're going to keep that house for three to five years, yes, there will probably be a, a housing downturn at some point in the next couple of years. Um, 
But again, you can kind of predict that by just doing a little bit of research and talking to the right qualified people in your area. Uh, locally in Texas and San Antonio, for sure, we've been creating tons of jobs every year in every metro area. Um, we've been working on our infrastructure. You've got a shortage of housing. Mm-hmm. So so much so the builders are bullish and builders are putting more house yeah. on the ground. Builders are a great way to pay attention, especially the nationals. They stop putting houses on the ground when they foresee a, a downturn, right? Yeah. Or they at least slow down, especially after what happened in 2007, 8, 9. Um, and so I'm just very... Uh, I think it's a great time to buy real estate in general uh, or use it to, re, uh, you know, for your wealth and, and reallocation of debt. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So um, you're, you're just so smart. That was <laughs> just a ton of information. <laughs> I love it. I should touch on something because we're Military City USA. Um, there's a type of refinance that's important for veterans to know about. Oh, good point. Yeah. Uh, there's something and, called a streamlined refinance. Oh, that's um, not what I was thinking. So, yeah. Okay. There, there's something called a streamlined refinance, which, which veterans should definitely know about. Uh, what I like about them is that, that there's rules to protect the consumer. Um, at the end of the day, uh, it's that there's a math equation that we do to find out uh, what the break-even is based on the, the VA's uh, definition of break-evens, right? So there's got to be a certain amount of savings within a, with a certain amount of cost maximum based on the loan amount. But it has what, to be what a I, certain amount of savings. There's got to be a specific savings. As far as? As, as far as a percentage. So the easiest way to say it is the new streamlined rules do a better job of protecting veterans from usury, uh, protecting veterans from uh, um, you know the bad loan officers in the world. Because for sure, I think that they were the most ripe for predatory lending a couple of years back. Because here's the benefit of a streamline. You don't have to requalify. As long oh, as there's okay. enough payment savings based on the VA's Payment term, savings. As long That's, as there's enough okay. savings, gotcha. then you literally do not have to reprovide your paychecks, bank statements, W-2s, tax returns, nothing. You don't have to get an appraisal in some cases. I am totally learning right now. Yeah, I did so, not know this. Uh, if as long as the loan amount doesn't go up, you don't have even have to get an appraisal. So, so I'm so a veteran. Th- uh, you're a veteran. You've been in your house for five years. Uh, you know, again, cr- closing costs. Uh, assume that it's within that range the VA defines is okay. You could literally say, find out. Oh my God, I can save two hundred bucks a month. Yes, I'd like that, please, and basically be done within two weeks on a streamlined refinance because you don't need anything to qualify. Uh, it's just, it's something that the VA does to take care of veterans, credit? which I really love. Um, there's, there's instances, uh, we don't even have to deal with, like, there's no qualifying criteria to do a I'm like, my mind can't even like yeah. wrap around this. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, it's, it's, um, okay. it's, it's because so we again, pull their, well, no, because we don't do much of anything. We, <laughs> I mean, I hate to say it that way. <laughs> uh, loan officers don't do a whole lot with the streamline. It's basically send in your mortgage statement. Let us, yes, we have to re, uh, get your, re pull your information as far as name, socials, dates of birth, all that okay. stuff. All right. So we're going to um, pull. You basics. certainly can't be late on your mortgage. So that would be a, so a no criteria. Late. You can't be missing mortgage payments. Uh, but outside of that, you know, yes, please may have another and, and you can do it for veterans all the time, which is why that was ripe for predatory lending. Because right. people were rolling in. I've, I literally had a client of mine um, that we closed at what the rate should have been. And then three or four months later, you know, you've got to understand that these are things to watch out for, by the way. We don't sell, nor does any more should we have the right to sell information about their clients. But public information is public information, like when a deed is filed at the courthouse. A deed of okay. trust is filed at the courthouse. So there's people that literally go, uh, go and buy the public records yeah. and sell those. Mm. So it's uh, so they they go down the public. You know they find out on January first that these 
400 people close on their new property and they all, and some of these were VA loans, some of these were conventional or whatever. Well, they go steal, they scrape all the VA loans. They then send it to these uh, VA streamlined lending companies. Those people then roto dial mm. and try to call people and say, Hey veteran, we could, you don't have to do anything. You qualify for a point lower rate. Well, what I say earlier, higher rate, lower fees, lower rate, higher fees. So this specific veteran ended up rolling in literally three points into his loan on top of normal closing costs. Oh my gosh. Three months after we did their loan and the Roto dialer called and basically represented them as an extension of us. It had what? nothing to do with us. Yes. Wow. So um, that happens. So my point is, is that if you're, a, if you are listening and you get contacted by somebody you don't know, this is when you would reach back out to yeah. the person that you trusted that the, your realtors trust uh, or make sure it's the bank source that you that you believe in. Don't just take that roto dial because right. that's what they do. Because it's either, I mean, really that information should come from the person who funded your loan and then the servicing person. Uh, in, the servicing is the most likely because they've got the bandwidth to keep on calling their past clients. Um, and by that, origin- so by servicing, like... After we fund our loans, we will sell them to the big yeah, guys, so, the Chase's, Bank of America's. Yeah, it's all different. So every bank's a little different. Some banks will hold the notes. Some banks will transfer the notes. Uh, bottom line is whoever you're your mortgage statement from is the servicer. That's the that mortgage statement says at the top, Mr. Cooper. That's your servicer. If your bank if it says Bank of America, that's your servicer. So your servicer most of the time is going to be contacting you because they've got literally yeah. uh, warehouses yeah. full of people cold calling all the past clients to try and churn them. Why? Because um, they probably paid money to buy that note receivable. The mortgage is considered note receivable. It's important for them to keep those notes on the books. So they'd rather refinance, refinance and keep them it, yeah. there than let them go somewhere I, else. Right? I also think that's where people or consumers get confused on mm-hmm. who to listen to because yeah. These, uh, the larger banks, the larger companies are, they have a department that is their job to call through and say, Hey, it's a good time to refinance. Mm -hmm. Well then, so they're getting those calls on the regular. Then we do our due diligence. More people like us. Yep. And you know, we'll call and say, Hey, now it's a really good time. And how do you really know when it is? Like, when is it a sales pitch? It goes back to finding a trusted resource is always the first answer. Uh, second answer though, is that, uh, is it worth listening Yes. I think it's worth listening. I think that you don't know what you don't know. And the reason why I say that out loud is that um, yesterday I refinanced a guy, one of my past clients that I've mailed to and called and sent to video, uh, you know, video emails and given mortgage market outlooks and done forecasting <laughs> for and invited uh, past client appreciation parties. <laughs> And he still hadn't refinanced since 2013. Like, oh, it's a good time. I didn't know. <laughs> oh, yeah. That means uh, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, yeah. all those times. And now it's 2020. You know, it's like all, they did, about, it's like, it, all oh, in good makes, time. All in right, good time. So you don't know what you don't know. Um, yeah. Most people, it's just a burden. I mean, at the end of the day, yes, mortgage companies take your firstborn child, a, a blood sample and a stool sample, yeah. right? So that's never fun. But um, you know, this whole thing that we're doing is about money sense, right? Yeah. It's about, you know, what should you be paying attention to? So if you're getting addicted to your monthly budgeting, what ends up happening inevitably, it happened to you actually, because I remember this, uh, what ends up happening inevitably is, okay, well, I, I cut my cord with the cable company. Uh, okay. I, I renegotiated my cell phone bill. Okay. I, I cut up my credit cards and I only have $1,000 credit card that I use for gas. And and you keep looking at your budget and your goal, remember, is 
always to increase your savings by a dollar or decrease your debt by a dollar. And some of you that are listening have no debt. You have paid for cars, no credit cards. There's only one thing staring back at you as a fixed monthly expense outside of you got food, you know, food insurance, tax, things like that. Right. It's your mortgage. Mortgage. So at some point, you got to look at what's typically on everyone's balance sheet, their biggest line item. It's their mortgage. So I can go back and screw around with saving 20 bucks, 50 bucks here and there with all this other little stuff. Or once a year, at least, I can relook at my mortgage and figure out, okay, does it make sense? Not, I'm going to do it. Does it make sense right. to do the math? And if the Absolutely. math says, yes, you should, I don't care how busy you are. The math says you should. So do it. <clears throat> and really and truly, I mean, so. That's what I love about refis is it's just a math thing. It's just a math thing. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and so I think, you know, with our refinance, it was an opportunity. We had finally decided we're not going to move. You know, um, we toyed with that for a little bit, finally decided that wasn't the case. Um, and rates were going low. I finally started paying attention, right? I'm in the business. It's like, okay, now I need to look at my own stuff. And then you look at, okay, well, we, here's all the options that you have available to you and which one makes the most financial sense to do. And if you're going to be there for a while, well, let's take some of that money and reinvest it back into the house. So that way it can, it can have a a little extra boost in appreciation. Um, so in the five, seven, whatever, however many years, well, now we're just in a better, in a better position from an appreciation standpoint when we go to sell. Um, well, also what, what, you know, it's really funny you said that. So my last house that we left before we moved into my house currently, uh, we always talked about we're going to redo the kitchen and redo the countertops and that stuff. We always talked about it. You know when we did it? The month before we left. And because, then you're like, "Why this place is great. Why should yeah, we move? Yeah, <laughs> exactly right. It's like, why didn't we do this five years ago so we could enjoy it? I mean, you know, when you get about, your it, house show ready, right. it's like, oh, oh, this place is pretty cool. <laughs> that uh, is very true. Um, okay, so let's talk about First, I want to finish up the thought process around the VA, uh, the VA refinances. Uh-huh. What is the difference? So you talked about a streamline. What about an EARL? Is well, that, that, that's exactly is, what it is. It's a, the same it's thing? A different, okay. It's an interest rate reduction loan. Okay, so uh, that is the same. Yeah. So either streamline the, there, or... The, there is a VA refinance that is not an EARL, right? So the... Uh, okay. Yeah, it's, it's just, are you do you need to qualify or not? And do you need an appraisal or not, right? The appraisal comes in if you're going to increase your loan balance off your original loan amount meaning you had a starting loan balance of 230 and uh, you're refinancing pretty quickly. So remind you, most veterans have a, they, they have their loan amount, they're rolling in their funding fee. So their loan balance is actually higher than their purchase price day one. Okay. So most of the time, if it's, if you're refinancing too close to the purchase, you're, you're, by the time you're rolling closing costs, if you don't pay them out of pocket, you end up with a higher loan amount than what you started mm, with, yeah. which okay. may or may not make sense. But if it's going to go up, you have to get a new appraisal. New appraisal. Okay. Now, if you're five years in, Presumably, when you, okay. Let's when, stop right there for a second. So, mm-hmm. if you're starting in that scenario, your loan mm-hmm. amount is higher than your starting your loan starting amount. loan amount because of rolling in and financing uh-huh. your funding fee. Mm-hmm. Then you get an appraisal done, uh-huh. and it's the same. Very similar. Yeah, it's more. It, that'll be more. The it's the same amount. Side. It's the same amount. So it appraises for the exact same amount. Yeah, so you can't have a loan amount greater than your appraised value. So there's no there's no cash out. No, no, you like if you are trying to roll in closing costs above 100%, you can't do that on, uh, uh, at this time. Okay. Um you know the 
And then the what easy, about what about if it appraises by like two grand? You're rolling two thousand dollars more. Okay, so yeah. so a portion of the closing cost in that case. Okay, if you need an appraisal. But the beautiful thing is, like I said, if you uh, are a couple thousand dollars less and you're doing an interest rate reduction loan where you don't need to qualify, we don't need an appraisal at all. So you can roll in all closing costs into it, not qu- not look at the information at all for qualifying purposes and just be done. Okay. Um, so it, it's way, you know, again, there's very strict guidelines on how much you can roll in, what the break even is, does it make sense from the veteran's perspective for so, sorry, the VA's perspective for the veteran to do it. Mm-hmm. If it fits those parameters. They reduce everything, which makes it a very cheap in, uh, investment, yeah. uh, very cost effective and very easy to do, right? Okay. Um, which brings up another point because in general, you need to understand you know, what's required to refinance in the first place. Well, you can increase your loan amount on every other loan type over what you started with in some cases, right? So uh, okay. A conventional loan, you might have started with 20% down. You can actually go to a, uh, so that'd be 80% loan to value. Okay. 20% down. You can go to 85. So you could, in theory, roll in your closing costs, go above the 80%. So math, at, like use like real numbers yeah, real and walk numbers. through so, this scenario. So, so two, you have, a, again, $200,000 sales price, uh, 20% down when you bought it. So you've got a 160 starting loan amount. Uh, rates plummet in the first year, like this last year happened. So it does make sense to refinance. But by the time, but you don't have cash to pay closing costs, so you do want to roll the closing costs in. Well, instead of being at a 160 loan amount, you end up at a 165 loan amount. Okay. okay. Well, so you still have the equity. five grand comes from your closing costs. Yeah, or whatever okay. the difference is, and okay. you roll it in. So you're over 80 percent, but you still have equity in the property. For a conventional so, loan, you need three percent only. So if it's as long as you have 97 percent loan to value or better. It's, you can do it. You'd have to price it differently. We'd have to look at mortgage insurance possibly, but can you and do so it? You yes. you get an appraisal. Yeah, get an what, appraisal. See what the value comes in at. And that but adju- again, this has only been what kind of, I mean, this is a, like in this scenario, it's a short time frame, right? About a year, yeah. About a year. Yeah, so it, it, my point is, is that you don't, just because been a year doesn't mean you don't have options. For, for you know, FHA loans, typically uh, most of them, you do three and a half percent down, but some people put down five or 10%. So again, in those scenarios, you could potentially very quickly still be able to roll in closing costs. Um, now, another thing to keep in mind is you're basing, you know, every bank's a little bit different, but, but for the most part, if you're a year into your mortgage or greater, the sales price doesn't matter anymore. The loan amount doesn't matter anymore. The appraisal does. So let's just say you bought the house right, okay? Let's say that you put down 10% initially, that's all you had on a, it was worth three hundred thousand when you bought it. Okay. But you bought it for two fifty. Okay. Okay. But you had twenty five grand to put down, so you you have a two hundred. You had twenty five thousand dollars down, so you had two hundred and twenty five thousand dollar loan amount. Okay. So you were priced on, and you have mortgage insurance based on a ten percent down conventional loan or a ten percent down FHA loan. Okay. On a $225,000 loan amount. 250 sales price, 225 loan amount. Yep. But it's worth 300. But it's worth 300. Okay. We go a year into it. Now the sales price doesn't matter. You bought it right. It's a, it's worth 300,000. Okay. So now we get an appraised value at 300,000. Well, 20% down on 300,000 is 60,000 bucks. Okay. So 300 minus 60 is a 240 loan amount. You're already below 240. You're at 225. Oh, wow. So now I can give you pricing, better rates, better fees at a over 20% down loan, get rid of mortgage insurance. The rate could literally be the same and the payment would go down, <laughs> right? 
So that's some real fancy footwork, yeah. Sigmund. Uh, well, <laughs> it's weird stuff that's in my head, but when when but you think about payment, cool about yeah, it, when like, you think about payment savings, it's not just the rate, right? Uh, the rate matters. That should yes. be the slogan. So this goes back it's to not it's, just yeah, about well, the rate. Well, you know, we we're talking about the rule of thumb is drop it half point. No, that doesn't matter. Yeah. It does matter in some cases, right? Uh, but the term, right? If you went from a 20-year to a 30-year term, your rate would go up, but the potential for the payment go down is real. Oh, yeah. We went well, down too. We yeah. also went down. I always forget about that. Right. The other th- one would be getting rid of mortgage insurance. So a lot mm-hmm. of people uh, will, you know, the biggest uh, hurdle to getting a home these days is the down payment. So most people do the minimum down, three, five, temp- you know, 5% down, mm-hmm. whatever the minimum is for whatever loan type they're doing, zero for a VA loan. Um, and you have to have 20% down for a conventional loan, right, Josh? No. Yeah, <laughs> I just so, feel like we should plant that yeah, it's all 3% the time as well. 3% down for a conventional loan uh, <laughs> is the minimum. So my point, though, is that somebody puts in their, their minimum investment, they bought it right, or they wait three or four or five years. Well, mm-hmm. usually, depending on the loan type, usually if you do less than 20% down, you have that mortgage insurance, right? So let's say that three years into this, your house, you are in a highly appreciating area. Mm-hmm. You, you get the value of that appreciation through the appraisal. So again, same thing. I went from 250 to 300 or 250 to 400,000 value. My loan amount, my loan to value is less than 80% in the refi. I could literally have a little bit higher rate in the refinance and still drop the payment by getting rid of the mortgage, mortgage insurance. insurance. Right. And when you look at the bill and you see that 250 bucks mortgage insurance, it's it is frustrating. A, that is a chunk yeah, of money. Yeah, because it doesn't protect you. It protects the, you know, it insures the lender against your foreclosure. So you're paying for their insurance. So get rid of that crap if you can. So, yeah. Right? Okay. But those are all the things that come into a good consultation on, on, a, That's on, the key. on a refi. And here's where, let me just say this, you know, this is not self-serving. This is just the truth, right? Um the iBuyer, the internet consultation, the I can do a mortgage with the click of a button thing. Yeah. Don't do that crap when you're doing a refi. Oh, I love Don't okay, do that crap. Yes, good point. You, there good are point. so many different ways to structure it that could be more advantageous for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's easy to push a button. I get that crap. Mm-hmm. But the truth is, is that this, especially a refinance, would be where you need strategy yes. and math. And a consultant strategy to tell you the, and purpose. Yeah, to actually accomplish a better ending, right? Yeah. Um, because oh, the rate looks good. I'm going to refinance. Cool. You just cost yourself ten grand, and you're going to sell right. in three years, and you break even in five years. That was not smart. You not feel better because you you got the best rate, but um, it doesn't help you. So um, there's another scenario I want to share that I just thought was incredible. Um, as far as like creativity and really using your assets to your advantage. And we had a client over, I don't know, probably midway through 2018 and his primary residence, great rate, good there. Mm-hmm. Um, and this, let me back up this, um, this conversation started from me, you know, just shouting from the rooftops, like, Hey, friends, family, loved yep. ones, Facebook, everybody it's time to take a look yep. because you just don't know what's out there. Yep. Well, so his primary residence is fine. Then he had uh, two investment properties oh, with both uh, both had um, had mortgages on them. We cash out refinanced one of his investment properties and pay use that cash to pay off the other one. The other one. Yeah, so it was really interesting because the the mortgages, the cash flow, all we were looking at was the cash flow, right? So the two mortgages were 
call it close to 40% loan to values. So he had a great equity stake in both of mm-hmm. them. I actually did this with one of our realtors too recently. Um, and all we did was we did a cash flow refi on the one. So it took it from, so it must have been even less than 40. It was probably 30 and 30 or 30 and 35% mm-hmm. because uh, one rule to know, uh, just a basic uh, couple of rules to know. In Texas, as an example, you can't take out more than 20% equity on a primary residence. So, uh, sorry, uh, 80% loan to value is the max. Uh, but investment property cash outs are typically limited to 75% loan to value. Okay? I was going to say, we so there is a limitation, you, right? So, yeah. whereas on a purchase, you do a down payment of three, five, seven, ten percent or zero for VA, um, you so can't just, take. So, you, just really quick. So, yeah. ma- um, the max you can take out on a primary residence. The highest loan amount is 80% loan to value. 80% loan so to value. So there's not a max you take out in cash. You know, you can take out a half a million if got you got it. it. Okay. But it's 80%. 80% of the appraisal is the max you can take out less your appraised okay. value, less your payoff, less your closing cost. Okay. So for easy numbers, okay. million, uh, a million bucks, you have a half million dollar loan. You can take out 800,000 total loan amount minus the 500,000 that use your current payoff. You got 300,000 of equity minus your closing cost, 10 grand, right? So you get about 290, get a $290,000 check in that case. And that's the max. And what I learned through our yep. personal refinance was- Other states are different guys. Texas is is specific though. There's a Texas A6 law. Uh, there are some states that allow you to do more than 8%, but for sure in Texas, sure you can't take out more than 80 on a primary. Um, is that um, you don't have to take out that entire amount, like you literally can choose pretty much. Like, here's your max. Oh, yeah, you can take out 100 and be take done. A, yeah. And yep. so, um, and I would encourage, like, if, if you don't have a good use for the money or what you know where you're going to put it, don't go take out 200,000 putting a checking account at 0.02 and have a rate of four. That that doesn't make sense, right? right? And because it affects your monthly payment. Yeah. So, you really want to have those conversations of what are the plans? What am I do with this cash? What are you going to do with, with it? Equity? Yep. And then what a new mortgage payment fits into your budget? Yep. So I think that's... And this goes back to finishing up that your your friend. So the the, reef, the specific investment that we had, the 75% loan to value. Mm-hmm. So both of them added up to less than 75% loan to value. So all I did is do one loan on one property max. The other one is now free and clear. Because it's free and clear, that entire rent check comes into them. Yeah. Plus, they're still getting a little bit of cash flow on the maxed bit. out mortgage. Yeah. Combined, it was like a $450 better cash flow for them just by combining. So, I mean, I love that. I, I just love scenarios. That was a cool like, deal. That I enjoyed is that so, one. so fun. I, yeah. I love those conversations. Um, so, I hope what everyone's hearing is I started by saying, well, there's three types of refis. Well, there's four types of refis. Well, there's five. You, I think there, there's lit- so many <laughs> scenarios that just keep popping in my mind. I gave the basic ones. Here's how but, I see, especially especially you working with refinances and really any type of mortgage is a glass wall with all like the little numbers all over it. And you just like move them all around, move them all around. Have you seen the beautiful minds? <laughs> yes. All I do is I see weird numbers on a wall and they yeah. kind of move around and all of a sudden they disappear and it works for me. That's how it works for me. Um, I'm not a beautiful mind, by the way. That was not self like... <laughs> But that's how I think sure, as far Josh, as numbers. Sure, Josh. Okay. Mm-hmm. Trust Look, we've me. Already, we've already ask, talked about how great you are ask, this entire ask podcast. Christy, okay. Ask Christy how great I am and she'll, my wife <laughs> will you say you straight. Are you in trouble? I'm always in trouble. She's awesome. <laughs> She's usually right too. I just hate to admit that. Of course that. she is. Of course. Um, what did we miss? I don't know. I got sidetracked on wondering what. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. So a um, couple of things. What happened? So. I think that an important thing to understand is that a refinance is, it's a new mortgage. It is a closing. You will go to closing. Yeah. Um, it's a restructure. It's a restructure. And that means 
uh, you know, there's escrow accounts involved. And so what happens? That's a great thing. So there's, there's a couple of tertiary, secondary and tertiary benefits that people actually use their advantage, right? So first thing that happens is, let's just say that you, it's January, January, 2020, you want to refinance. Normal time frame for us is 21 days, you know, national average, probably 45 days, depending on the bank size. Bottom line is you're going to probably close in February. If you loan up in January, you close in February. Okay. Well, when in February matters, when in the month, because if you, you, your payoff, the refinance will pay off the old mortgage can serve as a payment. Okay. So what that means is on a conventional loan or a VA loan, not FHA for specific reason, I'll explain in a second. If you close before the 15th, you don't have to make a mortgage payment in February. That's what happened to We're us. We had like literally right, like almost three months. the best scenario of cashing out. So ever. you so you don't have a, a payment in, in February. You skip your March payment altogether because there has to be interest accrued in order to have a, a principal and interest payment. Mm-hmm. Your first payment would do, be due uh, April 1st, late April, April 15th before there's any late charges. So literally you could close on February the 10th and not have a payment until late until April 15th. So over 60 days, cha-ching, right? Cha-ching, cha-ching. Um, so that's one benefit, which when you think about it, that helps offset some of your closing costs, right? Because mm-hmm. you're not using money over here. So if you can steal from, you know, you feel tight on your savings account, but yeah, I can part with 5,000 knowing that I'm going to not have to make these two payments. Right. Then you can kind of better your scenario there. Do Second you feel thing, like, sorry mm-hmm. to interrupt, but do you feel like most people roll in their closing costs when they're refinancing? Most people do. It's not always possible. So at the okay. cost of a th- four bucks per thousand finance, 18 years to break even, by the way, roll in your closing costs if you can. Okay. Uh, uh, but it also can be the difference of, you know, if it's a $7,000, you know, loan amount difference, that's 28 bucks a month ish. Um, and that might be the difference in your break even of making sense or not, in which case bring your cash, right? Okay. If you've got the cash, like think about it. If you've got, if you've got your $15,000 sitting in your savings account, it's been there for six months and you haven't done crap with it. Yeah, use seven thousand out of that to save yourself twenty bucks a month. It's better than sitting in the bank account, right? Mm, yeah. Um, but um, that's one benefit is you miss a payment or two. Okay. Now that does not work on FHA loans. FHA loans okay. part of the payoff is you pre you whatever day of the month you close, you're paying the entire months of interest. So if you close on the first of February, you're still paying thirty days of interest okay. in the payoff. So the point is is that you're effectively making the payment in February anyways. Um, that's just for an FHA loan. Uh, but you always, uh, on a purchase or a refinance, you always skip a month. Yeah. Uh, yeah whatever so month it, you whatever close. month you close in, you skip the following month yep. and then that is your that's first correct. payments due. Uh, a secondary uh, thing that can be used as a benefit, uh, some people think about is um, a refund of escrow accounts. So it's worth talking about escrow accounts in general right now. It really is. An escrow account is the separate account uh, that that's part of your mortgage payment if you, especially if you do less than 20% down, includes tax and insurance and mortgage insurance. Okay. So when you make your $2,000 payment, you might have 500 bucks that's tax mm-hmm. insurance and mortgage insurance. That's siphoned off into this separate account that is held by that servicing entity on your behalf that will serve as uh, the funds available to pay to the, the tax bill or the insurance bill as they come due. Okay. So that's your money. So when you sell a house, or if you refinance your property, that escrow account is closed and it must be refunded to you within 45 days. So now you're missing a payment. You're going to get a check back for whatever literally is in that mm-hmm. escrow balance. Yeah. So when you look at your 
uh, you're in June doing a refi, you have six or seven months of property taxes or insurance, which can be significant, right? Um, another benefit or, or something that some people choose to do when they refinance is if they've gone from a 10% loan to value and now they have more than 20, uh, sorry, 10% uh, equity to more than 20% equity, that client now has a choice to service their own escrows, meaning that they don't have to have an escrow account at all. And then they just pay the tax bill on their own at the end of the year and the insurance bill as it comes due. The reason why people might do that is to earn interest on that money. Okay. You know, if it's a $2,000 a year of tax and insurance, don't bother with it because it's just a pain in the butt. But right. there are people that have $20,000 of property taxes. Yeah, hold on to that money, be responsible, set it aside in a separate account, earn interest on it. Earn interest on and it. And then pay okay. the tax bill at the end of the year, um, right? But the benefit again would be... Um, when if there's enough equity, again, if there's enough equity, you so can roll to, in setting up the new escrow account and you're going to get a refund of the old escrow account. It's going to be a wash. That's not a cost. That's a wash. What you do with that refund of escrow is up to you. Some people will just say, I don't want my new higher loan amount. So they just mail that back in with their first payment to reduce the loan amount back to where it was a wash. Oh, okay. What some people will do is they say, well, crap, I just got five grand. I've got this $5,000 credit card bill. Let's just yeah. pay that off. Yeah. And some people aren't the wisest with it. They'll go to Disney Go to World. Vegas, baby. Yeah. Which is That's what, what you we would, did. You, exactly. <laughs> um, you are bright. but Luckily, I, we hit the jackpot. Right. Um, All on red. <laughs> you put on red? Awesome. Yeah. So, so kidding, that's another thing totally that happens kidding. when you do a refinance, right? Um, yeah. Is the escrows. What else is a... a okay. So your escrow accounts gets refunded back to you. Um, you what a, payment, yep. uh, and what about insurance? So so when you sell a house, um, you have always you always prepay insurance up front and you pay in arrears, whatever the property tax bill is. Okay. So all that means that you seem super frustrated that you don't have... I know. You don't my have, le- oh, yes. There's more. Good. There's more. The world has not all come to an end. Jesus. Um, so my point is, is that uh, on... Um, insurance, let's just say you bought a house a day and you sold it or refinanced it in a month. Well, you, the day you close on that property, you paid 12 months of insurance. People forget all the time when they sell their house to notify their insurance provider yeah. that they sold the house because they would owe them 11 months back. Ooh. They prepaid. It happens all the time, guys. Pay attention. So You always prepay. You Everyone's required. Why? And understand the why is important. Um, the insurance protects the collateral. The collateral is the building. If the house burns down, they need the collateral to be rebuilt because that's the collateral, right? So that's why you have to always prepay insurance. If you buy it today, it burns down tomorrow and there's no insurance, there's a problem with that half million dollar loan, right? <laughs> uh, separate of the emotional damage with the family, right? Uh, but banks aren't emotional about it. They need the collateral protected. So my point is on a uh, when, you're, when you're doing the refi, same thing. It's a great time to shop your insurance provider. Right. Because... Most insurance you know, agents, I've got some great ones I work with that don't aren't these people, but we really do. most insurance companies, um, when they lock you in, they tend to raise your rates over time. Mm-hmm. They certainly don't shop around to find out a better rate on the annual anniversary. So if you're going to do a refinance, it's going to affect your payment in cash anyways. Shop around. Find out if there's a better option with the same coverage or better with the lower payment. Right. And that would be a time to set it up. And so if you, in that, um, in that scenario, you're refinancing, you do shop and find somebody different, mm-hmm. a new insurance agent to go with or insurance company. 
what's yeah, that? So, what you- so company A is who the current insurance provider is. Company B decided to go with, I would take that information, close the loan, have the new payment set up, prepay the first year of insurance with a new provider. Which happens at closing. And there might be a right of rescission. Like Texas, there's a three-day right of rescission. Mm-hmm. So it might be four days after closing. Okay. Okay. Once it's funded, the keyword is funded. Funded means the parties have signed. Money's, bank, money's been transferred. Okay. By the bank to the title company, money's been transferred. At that time, then you would cancel your old insurance company. And so you just call and then them you up. Get, you call cancel. them up. Hey, I... I'm canceling my policy. Refund me my insurance too. Um, insurance and again, is strict. It's throughout the year, right? Well, so it's just a proration. It's a proration. Right. So okay. if you're one twelfth of the way through, you have eleven months owed to you. If you're halfway through the year, they owe you half the year. Um, it, it's just there are very strict laws with insurance that um, it's it's what's been used. They they can't just juice you and keep the extra cash. So, and so when you get that money, um, in fact, by the way, you can call months later and say, by the way, I sold this house back in May and it's November, send them documentation proof you don't own that property anymore, they still have to refund you that difference. It, no, there was nothing that was insured at that time. Gotcha. Okay, so you're you're yeah. saying in the instance that you forgot to cancel your policy? Or you policy, heard this and you're like, ah, I need to do that. Yeah, you can call them. Well, but wait, so if you forget to cancel the policy, mm-hmm. well, they're not being paid though, right? They were paid in advance. Oh, they're, oh that's right. Okay, They were yes. paid in okay. advance. They've got your money, girl. That's right. Okay. So it's your job to go begin to refund. So you have to, okay. So you have to notify your insurance agent you that should. they are. Otherwise okay. what they'll do is they'll use the entire year. You never notified them. They just won't get a check for the next year. So then you're uninsured the next year, but you might've been insured for six or eight months too long. So you just wasted money. Okay. Um, and so when you get that refund check, so you do your due diligence, you call your insurance agent and say, I have switched companies. When you get that check or that refund, mm-hmm. is it yours or do you need to put it? You can do whatever in, you want. Okay. So you that can is reapply it back towards your, uh, okay. you know, reducing the loan balance. If you rolled it in, you could take the cash and do something better with it. Just don't go do the bad things with bad people. Don't hang out with you. Ha. Obviously. At least me <laughs> in my 20s. I'm pretty good now. <laughs> okay. So now that everybody should be convinced that they should refinance. <laughs> if it makes sense, yes. After after sitting down, with, at least with investigate the team. <laughs> once a year. At least investigate it once a year. And so, what what does investigating look like? Just to kind of wrap this up, um, like, well, uh, my team makes it easy. Every every company's a little different. All I need is a copy of more. Uh, if it's a past client, a copy of my uh, their mortgage statement and permission to repull credit, and I'll look at it. Takes twenty four hours to give you a straight answer. And if we uh, don't want to repool credit, what's is there well? Then to- it's a uh, suppose, right? You know, you're we, assuming we, that they're they're we, we assume is good. they've got perfect credit and great debt ratios, and the appraisal's fine. Um, so okay. you can get closer, but it's not the wisest way to do it. You, if you're gonna make a decision, pull the credit, look at real numbers, um, and then do the math. But by looking at a mortgage statement. Yeah, it just shows you, me what And the you're payoff. assuming everything else is good. Look at the mortgage statement. We should be able to yeah. say, yeah, it, there, it looks yep. like there's some opportunity. Let's take the next step. Yep, that would be one. And then uh, if you're considering reallocating uh, debt, you know, uh, restructuring your debt with, with cash outs, if you're thinking about uh, rehabbing a property or taking cash out to pay for college, um, mm. things like that, then... Those are consultation meetings, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, weigh, weigh the pros and cons, come in the office or meet with your pr- provider, meet with them face to face, look them in the eyeballs, make sure they know what the hell they're, they're saying. Because, um, you know, you might evaluate, what could I get my student loan rates for? 
what's the monthly payment going to be on student loan versus taking it out of my mortgage, right? Yeah. Uh, do I really love my kid that much? Like, are they going to, they am I take the student loans out and they're going to be doctors or am I take the student loans out and they're going to fail out, <laughs> right? So, right. Um, you, you know, but there's evaluation questions around that. Um, the other thing too that, you know, I know we, we try to be very diligent about this is when we do a pre-qualification for somebody that's looking to purchase a home, mm -hmm. looking at their real estate owned for mm -hmm. them proactively yeah. and trying to identify opportunities that, you know, they maybe didn't call about. And so it's not, I not from that. an upsell position. It's from a, mm -hmm. like, it's Service. a, yeah, it's well, a, I'll give you a perfect example. I remember in December, uh, this exact thing happened. It, it the person uh, sold a property. So again, this gets into, I'm not a CPA, I'm not giving you tax advice, but I'll tell you that one of the tax laws that changed was if you live in a primary residence for more than two of the previous five years, so you could have you could have moved out and it's could be a rental property for two or three years. If you occupy the property as your primary residence for two of the previous five years, up to a limit, I think it's a quarter million, it's a tax-free sale. So any gains on that house that you sold, you bought the house for 200, you sold it for 400, you lived in it for the last five years, that $200,000 appreciation is 100% tax-free based on current tax law, the way I understand it. Talk to your CPA about it, okay? Wow. So I don't know a whole lot of tax-free events, but that's a good one. So <laughs> yeah. this person sold their house, they're saying 200,000, they said, well, I think I just wanna put it all into my next house I'm buying. And I was looking at the REO, well, primary which is, rates, which is real estate, real estate owned. owned. It's part of the loan application, the standard uniform residential loan application. My point is, is that um, they wanted to put $200,000 down in a new house. I want to say it was a half million dollar house. So they're going to have a $300,000 mortgage. Mm -hmm. Rates are in the threes. They have an, I, when I was looking at REO, I saw that they have an investment property. The rate was 575. So I told them, nope, you're not going to put down 200,000 on this down payment. You're gonna do 20% down, right? So you're putting $100,000 down on the 500,000 mm -hmm. and taking the other 100,000 and paying off the rest of this investment property, which is at 5.75. 5, 5. yeah. So is the monthly payment higher on your primary? Yes, but your cash flow is better and I traded a 575 rate against a three and a 3.75 rate in that example. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, I love that you said that because again, good mortgage companies will not look at the, the request. And here's a big bug in my butt that just drives me nuts. The average mortgage experience is an order taker experience, meaning yeah, most loan officers are no longer licensed. If a loan officer works for a nationally chartered bank, they're not mm -hmm. legally required to be anymore, right? And um, so what that, I want I like to paint this picture. Right. That means that a bank teller <laughs> right. go, you know, decide. A bank teller could be the head yeah. underwriter and then the head loan officer in a matter of a couple of years it, right. with very little or no real background or knowledge. And there's no continuing education. Very little, very little. I mean, it's as much as or as little as the, the company provides. Yeah. Point is, is that um, you got to question what the advice is from the source, right? So I believe if you're going to get a mortgage, go to a mortgage company that only does mortgages. They're probably yeah. better suited mm -hmm. than some company that does mortgage and banking and insurance and, and yeah, we're one trick pony. We have we to have make it, it work. We have to know right, what we're we'll doing. It all out, right. <laughs> uh, exactly. Right. Um, and so, um, I, I think that's a very valid point. It's just the truth. Of the matter is, is, you know, if you're not, if you're not dealing with a consultant and you're not getting that in-depth experience, this goes back to kind of summing up my thoughts. Um, the average experience in the click a button is I want this low rate because my daddy told me so, mm -hmm. or because 
I watched the internet and the banner said rates are lows, or I watched the TV and it, the commercial said, use us for the cheapest, easiest and best in the market, right? And so the problem with that is the average consumer knows enough to be dangerous, mm-hmm. but it's kind of like, why is most, why do most people use financial planners? Because the financial planners look at the market every single day. Every day. I'm sure you can day trade. But if you've got a day job, you're not day trading all every minute of every day. Let the professionals do the work, right? Yeah. And so when it comes to buying a house or refinancing, I personally believe get a professional. It's only the biggest investment of most people's lives. Yeah, totally. So don't wing it and say, I know the I know it's get the get no points lowest rate. Okay, maybe. That just terrifies me. Maybe not. We'll (laughs) find out. Let me talk to you first, right? Absolutely. All right, cool. So here's what I'm hearing to to put this to bed. Um, One, let the professionals market to you. So um, if you work with a great mortgage company or a great team like the Sigmund team, we're going to market to you. We are going to follow up with you. You're going to get postcards. You're going to get calls. You're going to get videos. Don't unblock it. Don't think it's spam. It's us trying to or it's our way of informing you of informing you and keeping yeah. you not knowledge keeping, is power it is power and letting the, the sooner you know about anything the more opportunities you have and so let people market to you the second thing is what i am hearing is holy moly it is good to look it yeah. is good to just kind of take a peek because you like you said you just listed off so many different scenarios mm-hmm. and chances are like there's maybe something really advantageous <laughs> within your mortgage that that we can play with. So yeah. I love it. I think it was awesome. Um, hope you're enjoying this podcast for all of our listeners and make sure you like us, make sure you subscribe to yeah, our channel baby. and uh, comment and tell us what you think and any extra topics that you want to hear about. Anything money. I'd love to help you out. Money talks. Boom. Take care guys. Bye-bye. Mm-hmm. Bye. Bye.